0: Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. We've got a great conversation today with our own AI expert, Jordan. You can tell by the beard, he knows what's up. We're gonna talk about some of the hottest topics in AI, some of the things that we're facing as we explore AI in the lab and in the solutions that we're working with hands-on. We've got a lot of new things to talk about there. And this is the first podcast that we're actually integrating live with our Discords. So we're bringing in our Discord community to be able to interact, ask questions while we're doing the live. Uh, we'll try to get to those questions as we go, but uh, for now, Jordan, thanks for doing the pod. Appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here and uh, glad to be back on the podcast. Yeah, the uh, the let's start with FMS because that's where you and I were last together in person, where the sloths were the talk of uh, Santa Clara. We were running a demo out the <laughs> yes, we were running a demo out there showing uh, AI vision. And this is kind of one of the topics I want to get into as we go, some of the the undertones, is that what AI means to one person is not a universal definition. We've got generative AI, which is the hot thing with ChatGPT and DALI and some of these other things. But there's so much more, so many things that used to be called business intelligence that are now rebranded as AI. But the vision AI bit really had people talking on the expo floor. Talk about what we were doing there and, uh, and what that means in your vision of, of what AI is.
1: Yeah, so that's actually, you started off with a really good point there. There's a lot of the, uh, misnomers that you see going around, floating around on the internet of people thinking, you know, AI and in their head, what they're actually thinking of most of the time is what's called AGI or artificial general intelligence. So they think the computer is actually thinking and making rational decisions, but realistically what we've got going on today Uh, With the generative AI side, it's basically fancy autocompletes or neural networks for generation. Um, And then what we were working on at FMS was computer vision, which is a subset of the broader AI, right? Um, And we had a model running, a public model, uh, running on our server, doing some object recognition. So the way that those work is you train your models on massive image data sets. Uh, The name escapes me right now, but there's a couple standardized ones that have been out for some time. Um, You can do further fine tuning. So like if you work in a manufacturing industry, um, let's say you work at an automotive plant and you make uh, water pumps for your cars and you want to have some sort of AI quality control. We've been doing camera style quality control for quite a long time. The interesting thing that we're seeing now is the industry starts to adopt this stuff more and more for production is we're able to kind of almost preemptively do the quality control as the, uh, as the assembly lines go. So you can have multiple uh, things tagged uh, in different ways using neural networks instead of kind of uh, some of the
0: more legacy logic. And then another you thing seen, you touched on there. Well, before before you leave that, real quick. I mean, we've yeah. all seen the the factory lines of like know, making canned peas or something, and if the cans dented, the thing just like flicks it off. It gets rejected and and goes yep. into the the waste bin or, or repurposed or whatever. I mean, that I guess was a, a early primitive form of of this. Is this can properly shaped? Yes, no, and then and then kick it out. Yeah. Uh, but when you talk about what we were doing with the the Vision AI, AI bit at at FMS, it was doing object detection. It was funny. I thought the funniest thing was as we progressed through the day, it started yeah. picking up all the beer bottles at five o'clock. As soon as the uh, <laughs> as soon as the bars opened up in the uh, in the expo floor, so. The model you were using was really general. Is this a bottle? Is this a backpack? Mm-hmm. Is this a purse or whatever? Eyeglasses. We saw, you know, dozens of different things pop up on there. But could you tune it even further if you wanted to and, and had enough camera resolution to say that can is a Coors Light, that can's a, a Lagunitas? If it was me, it, can you get that level of detail to really tune this for? You know, I want to know. As Anheuser-Busch at an event, uh, what are people actually drinking?
1: Absolutely, and that's kind of where I was going with the the business intelligence side of it, right? Where we're seeing, you know, we've we've evolved now from you know my can is dented on the on the factory line to being able to classify multiple things in an image and not just detect just if something is incorrect or not. But also be able to detect and categorize different things. Um, so you, you know, our model was more general. So we had, you know, teddy bear, and we had can, um, and bottle, of course. Uh, but with with proper tuning, like you said, proper resolution stuff, we're actually starting to see a lot of um, retail-based companies for loss prevention uh, start tracking the things that come across like the self checkout and tying that in with the scale weight data and right. tying all of those things together. But they're, they're investing massive amounts of time in creating the training data sets for those models, right? So in, in kind of a optimistic kind of way, you know, saying something like, all things are possible through AI, as long as you have a good enough, big enough data set and a big enough GPU to run it on. Um, which kind of brings me to one of my next things that I actually wanted to talk about, which is the actual creation of training data and how I'm not seeing a ton of stuff in the market right now that's focusing on that. Everybody's talking more about, you know, oh, here's all the cool stuff you can do with the model I'm more interested in. It. How do we get there? What's that roadmap looks like? And I think that's kind of what we're seeing. The off-the-shelf uh, chat models like uh, ChatGPT Enterprise, for instance, uh, was recently announced is getting you know a lot of traction because it kind of helps bypass and sidestep a lot of that initial training and uh, other data creation and um, normalization that you need in order to be able to work on these
0: well that's I mean you're getting at one of my pet peeves now is that the the AI world and I said it at the beginning is like different things to different people when you talk about, creating this data or creating the models or whatever, there's a giant chasm between the HPC installs, uh, the top fortune 100 and what they're doing and what some small business, some small retailer, some small manufacturer is doing. And there's quite a bit of gatekeeping that I find you know, moderately offensive. I understand it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I can't tell you the number, you've seen it on our social posts, we're talking about a workstation with a couple A6000s in it, and we'll get some people saying, well, that's not AI, that's, you know, whatever. It's like, well, a lot of AI starts out on notebooks because most organizations can't dump a million dollars into, you know, Dell's got these beautiful XE9680 servers, you know, eight-way H100s, which, you know, you you love that system. We all love that freaking system, but that system is unobtainable for the gross majority of the enterprise. And so I think there's a conversation to be had here around both what you're talking about, tools to democratize the on-ramp to AI, but also (laughs) how do we leverage the right tools for the job and we're going to get into some of that too around cloud uh, GPU instances around workstation, around actual dedicated GPUs. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, the Xe 9680, or even the two, uh, four by, uh, systems from Dell that we just saw, we've got a nice, like a 30 minute plus video coming on YouTube for that. But I don't even know if I really have a question there. I just have a frustration that I'm venting. Yeah and uh yeah i think you're seeing the same thing as an as an ai practitioner i mean you're actually in there doing this stuff but is anything i'm saying you know, sound ridiculous to you
1: no and i think that's that's a lot of challenges that a lot of industries are facing when they're looking at this and everybody sees it as oh new exciting shiny toy right let's all get into it and let's let's roll it out and and, and be the first one and um you know i think uh morgan stanley is trying to just put out a press release i don't know if they actually implemented it or they hear saying they were starting to implement a chat bot for interacting with you know your portfolio which i mean i'm (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of uh hey you know what i'm really interested to see what they do with it uh i think that'll be uh more helpful especially getting speed to questions um you know Mm -hmm. coming from a Background in finance and customer service, uh, you know, getting getting the answers to the customer quicker is is the name of the game. Um, even if it's just getting them to the right person to be able to help help them with their uh, you know their their inquiry uh, either on the phone or through a chat portal. Getting them to the right person as quick as possible is paramount to improving customer experience. So in those types of scenarios, yeah, these chatbots are great, and if you can have natural language conversation backed by routing logic. Um, You know, you can get increased deflection rates in your contact centers. Um, better handling times because folks get to the right person uh, at the right time. You know, you call the bank and you say, I got a problem with my debit card and the machine hears, oh, and they send you to the credit card department. Well, they can't help you with your debit card. They had to transfer
0: you again. So now you've just wasted a bunch of money. Well, that's everyone's biggest frustration, right? Is how many times, you in the old days, you would pick up the phone and mash zero until you hope to get to a real person (laughs) that can help with that decision tree. With a chatbot, the the mashing zero doesn't necessarily work because you can type representative or human or whatever a thousand times and the the, the chatbot's designed to not accept that, right? It wants to try to resolve it. Mm -hmm. And we've all had bad chatbots and I guess, have we had good ones yet? Have you been impressed with anyone's customer service bot to this point?
1: i had uh i had some uh hands-on experience with uh aws as a contact center plugin for theirs that utilizes their chatbot um and it had some pretty powerful connectors in there um you could you know of course uh set up logic that the first couple of times uh people say you know talk to a human right away it'll kind of press them into trying to hey if you can just tell me what you're called like what you need i can try it'd, and give me something right give me something yeah give me something but yeah i think there's always going to be that subset and i'm probably included in that subset of the population that i don't think any of them have ever been any good up to the date and i haven't had one good to, to uh interact with myself outside of some sort of you know open source kind of proof of concepty stuff but things like chat GPT. Um, I think you and I were playing around with it when we were on the plane actually and we got some AI running on the laptop on that plane and on the
0: last flight we had together. Yeah, see it can, it, can be, a, it can be done you know senior yeah. AI gatekeeper. you can do this stuff on on a uh, on a notebook, but carry on. No, absolutely but I mean we we saw you know getting just even just using the GPT4
1: API and having some sort of instruction following and some uh, directive in there, uh, we were able to get some pretty impressive results by giving it a goal and then allowing it to kind of go out and uh, accomplish that in the same vein that I think the name is uh, AutoGPT is one of the bigger ones uh, out there. I know there's a handful more. I saw a guy the other day that he he caught his... uh, Auto, automatic, I can't remember the exact name of it, but he had his own instance running and using the thing. And he interacts with it by texting with the with the AI. And uh, I guess he had caught it looking at some adult websites or something trying to do research. <laughs> and so, you know, these things that, that that brings us kind of full circle back to what we were talking about, about, you know, enterprises and the reluctance to deploy these things. And in, in some of the larger ones, is Getting them on to stay on the rails and getting them to do what they're supposed to do. Um, You know, you don't want uh, your your uh, credit card company chat bot going off talking about the weather for forty five minutes with someone.
0: (laughs) No, I mean this brings up such a big question that I'm reluctant to even posit. But I've been seeing more. I was just at an event a couple weeks ago, looking at, or I was watching an AI panel. And there was a professor from NYU that was speaking about the inherent uh, biases in, in technology. And, and as you would expect, I mean, the typical things of, uh, is technology racist? Is it bigoted? Is it whatever? Does it favor you know, one culture or society over another? And you and I were talking about that. And I think it's kind of what you're talking about here is if you say to your, your, your AI model, go explore the internet and get smart and then come back and, and be aware of these things, it's going to touch everything it can and pick yep. up pick up some flavor of, of culture that could be hyperextended in any direction, right? I mean, there's no, mm-hmm. if, if there's no barrier to where it goes and the information it consumes, then it could look at ESPN and be a, a sports jock kind of AI persona, or you know some other media. It doesn't make any difference. But you, yeah. you're getting to you're, what you're getting at is there is a need to make sure that the data going in is quality. And I think that's part of the the concerns that enterprises have is I want my chatbot to be good. I want to expose it to relevant information, but not too much information. Where now. I missed some sort of security check and it's sharing Jordan's account information with mine because we have similar interests and that's not good either. Right. That's, I mean, security threats. I,
1: you know, I've worked in that field and seen done a couple analyses of, uh, how how that plays out through long context, uh, conversations. Um, so there's of course that, but touching on what you were saying before with inherent biases and in AI, um, that's a hot topic right now. And and getting the training data properly together and properly put in there um, is, you know, paramount. You need a very diverse group working on, on doing that. And, mm. you know, I, I'd say this being fully self-aware of we work on the internet and we our platform is the internet the internet is a garbage cesspool of nonsense most of the places <laughs> out there yeah um, I know. i've been on i've been on reddit i'm aware. <laughs> yeah uh, and and so if you don't take care in your selection which is an absolutely mammoth undertaking for something like an llm um if you don't take care in your selection getting getting the proper tra- training data or even that proper fine tuning data, um, is, is a real challenge right now. Um, you know, being the one man band here, working out of the lab with, uh, with just our silly projects. I mean, we've seen some pretty, some things we probably shouldn't talk about, <laughs> but we've seen some pretty interesting results come out of just finding random data sets or, hitting a Reddit API to yank down a bunch of information. We've
0: seen some pretty interesting things happen. Um, well, no, direct, let's, let's you know. talk about it. Me, part of that FMS demo was running an API <laughs> Doom server with a ninth <laughs> system on a, on a laptop logged in. So this is one system that was doing all of these things. And I don't know exactly, you tell me, what you, what you told it to seed for Doom video game players, but it wasn't long before I'm sitting there at the booth, I'm looking at the chat on the, uh, on the laptop that's observing the game, and the 8 AIs are talking so much trash to each other, we had to, we had to turn it off for a little bit because it was uh, a little uncomfortable, <laughs> to say the least. With what these in uh, my defense, it they're, was a they're invisible really good. <laughs> guys. They're invisible AI gamers fighting each other and and, and making uh, uh, anatomy jokes. But uh, yes, in your defense, what?
1: In my defense, it was really well implemented uh, Doom Online chatter. <laughs>
0: and for those in our I'm audience gonna, who I, played yes, that, yes, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to disagree that it executed the mission. It understood the assignment, yeah. as it were. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so that's part of the thing, too, is making but sure that the assignment right, is, the, is right.
1: Yeah. And we didn't, we, we, we may have been a little too fast and loose. And that kind of comes up to the conversation of ethics and AI, right? You know, you play a little too fast and loose with your assignment, with your rules, and you end up with stuff like our AIs and booths from of thousands of people telling each other to blank and blank themselves. Yeah. And, yeah <laughs>
0: Was, I, I, was, you know. I, was both, I was both proud of our deployment and somewhat embarrassed at the same time. I mean, it's like we said we were going to set up a Doom server, which we did, and uh, yep. it executed it quite flawlessly. But that does highlight the point of, you know, it, it's not as simple as garbage in, garbage out, but there is definitely an underlying tone of what are the limits And and where do I want this thing to go? And I think that's part of why most, as I was saying before, most of our chatbot experience has been either rough, you know, somewhere between rough to terrible. I think there's a general reluctance by the enterprise to give these things more information because of the unknown. The fear Mm -hmm. of the unknown is going to hold back public interfacing AI in the enterprise, I think, for quite some time.
1: I've had conversations with other enterprises uh, about, you know, internal uh, internal use chatbots. You know, a chatbot that knows all the policies and procedures, and you can ask it. A quite if you're a marketing guy, you can ask it a question and find out if it goes for or against your company policies. Um, you know, that's the dream, right, to be able to have an assistant to sit there and, and help, kind of expedite, especially as organizations get massive like so many are those things and those folks can get hard to track down who do i go speak to about you know this this particular thing and having all the data sets you know containerized into an ai model or a model that has access to be able to search those um and where the conversation ultimately leads is yeah but there's some stuff that you know svp of marketing can have access to and know about but there's things that you know uh, a remote support phone agent should not right. be, you know, able to ask questions about, you know, finance protocols for, you know, expensing uh, private flights or uh, just something completely arbitrary, right? Like they, but that, that's but ultimately role, where the question always leaves.
0: Access, Yeah. Right. Yeah. W- and we're gonna have so, to have a whole new category in Active Directory for your level of AI access in within an organization.
1: <laughs> Seriously. And that's, like that's exactly where I was heading with that is, is it's not just as simple as Active Directory role based right now and getting to somewhere like that would be great. Um I would I mean having I think I think the the, the path on that would be path of least resistance, at least on that to explore would be having it be, uh, the initial interaction, give the prompt, give the AI as part of the initial prompt your levels of access based on some active directory stuff and, and have it work that way. But even then you start talking about things like prompt engineering. So we start looking at stuff like Nemo guardrails, um, You know, getting that to be into a spot where it can handle permission-based stuff. Um, would be a
0: really cool thing to
1: see. Um, well, talking just, about, know, e- things,
0: yeah, even on the prompting bit, I, I didn't know this until just recently. In organizations that have aggressively invested in AI, that's a job. Mm-hmm. Just just writing the prompts is a full-time job that that never existed before. Um, this is, I don't know how common it is, but there are certainly people out there that are paid full-time to help their organizations or help their, their people in their organizations write well-constructed prompts. And it's not just like, we've all interacted with ChatGPT by now, I think most of our audience mm-hmm. has. And you can say, you know, write me a, a sonnet about uh, you know this person, this person that, that talks about flowers a lot, and it'll go do that. But if you're trying to get at actionable business insights and having it create something for you. you you have to i don't know if it's talk to it like a six-year-old but there's some sort of level there where, where sometimes you even have to be repetitive or ask it questions to make sure it is giving you back what you think you're giving to it it gets to be a lot more complicated than just write me a poem
1: yeah i think I think your chat GPT thing is really actually a good metaphor. It's it's representative of kind of where things are heading, especially less complex models, right? So yeah. I spend a lot of time with it for help with everything from, hey, you know, how do I make this email make me not sound like a jerk, to uh, I need some help with this code because I'm getting this error and I don't know where it's happening. And, you know, depending on exactly how you ask it a question or how exactly how you prompt a question, right? So if you do, if you think of it um, as, a, as a task completing fancy autocorrect and you start and think of it less as a, like I touched on early, there's so much confusion over, oh, chat GPT is AI and people think it's an AGI, like data from Star Trek or the computer right. from Star Trek. And right. it's really not in, so if you fundamentally understand something like that, it becomes a lot easier to work with. And if you have context ab- about, you know, your company's own model, whether it's a chat bot or some sort of LLM or some sort of generative AI, and you're the prompt engineer, you know, the reason why you're seeing these jobs getting posted for obscene amounts of money is because it does take a long time to understand how those work under the hoods. To be able to get them to do what you need to do, yeah, yeah,
0: no, it it makes sense, and uh, the 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 world of challenges that AI is opening up in organizations again, which is why I go back to some of my frustration that I mean, you talked about some of uh, Nvidia's tools. They they did a uh, a release last week on uh, on some new. Uh, LLM support uh, with software, they're open sourcing, and we can get into that a little bit if you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think you've had time to play with it hands-on yet, but still, I I think as an industry, we could do better to to help democratize these tools. I think a lot about, you know, ChatGPT again, because it's such the obvious one, that a lot of organizations are reluctant to use it because there's no privacy there. If you use the, the public version, and you pump corporate data into it, there's no guarantee of, of, of uh, anonymity or privacy with that data, right? So they, it's hard for an organization to go hard on that, plus it stops, its data set is what, 2021 or something, so it's a little bit older, and it's trained to do what it's been trained to do, not necessarily what you want it to do. So how? what is the the on-ramp for a, for some small business, small enterprise that wants ChatGPT-like functionality across its internal assets, with maybe some public uh, websites or whatever that it that it identifies as relevant. What is the on-ramp for an organization that wants to do that, and do they have to go staff up, you know, a, a couple million dollars in a in an AI department of of people, which are hard to find, to to go run something like that?
1: So I think you actually hit the nail on the head there. Uh, the on-ramp looks like getting something set up internally and interacting with something like chat GPT-4, having a few really good initial prompts set up for it for how it's supposed to help you uh, and what it's supposed to do. Uh, you know, a, a, a well-skilled veteran engineer uh, could, you know, get an Azure instance of GPT-4 and have it plugged into a Slack bot where anytime you mention a Slack bot in a channel, It's able to respond and answer questions and help you do stuff uh even if it's just as simple as you know getting you know help me reformat this excel table or help me clean up this company-wide announcement getting easing into it and having everybody make sure they have a full understanding of what they're getting into i think with something as simple as that as a slack bot is far more valuable than trying to dump in head first right because you quickly start to understand the limitations and the actual practical uses of these things, other than yeah, writing a poem about Brian's wonderful salt and pepper hair.
0: Well, how dare you! So, what? What's the pract? Well, so think about it this way: if I'm use Salesforce.com, most organizations mm-hmm. use that for their CRM and and uh, and, and sales funnel if I want a uh, an AI model that analyzes that data and comes back with a because we know salespeople are notoriously awful at making their own sales forecasts so that's why it's you know a lot of you know, lick finger and stick it in there and hope for the best but an AI model should be much more uh, rigorous or could be much more rigorous in that process assigning probabilities and coming up with a you know salesperson one you know you're you're, you're Predicted sales target this month is $28,325. And we can give mm-hmm. it that rigor. Is it on the business to be able to come up with that model on their own, to be able to take advantage of that and to make their sales process smarter? Or is that something that we should expect Salesforce.com to create and say, you know, give us your parameters, we'll we'll certainly not a value add. We'll charge you, you know, $10 a head a month for this AI. Tool that all it does is help you uh, understand and more and better predictively analyze your your sales funnel. Like, where, where do you think, based on what you're seeing, where is the pressure or where is the innovation going to come from? So that's, I think
1: that's a kind of a complex question, right? So you've got to look at your own particular use case as a business. If I'm a you know fifty person shop selling repair services, uh, across, you know, uh, like a Cincinnati area or something like that. Yeah. Use the Salesforce built in one use Google's, uh, Google sheets built in stuff, right? Get your feet wet, get in there. I don't think everybody needs a custom, you know, custom model built out right away. But if you're somebody like a financial institution, I don't think you want to wake up one day and see a headline of Chase accidentally yeah,
0: yeah. bankrupted, you know, because they turned I mean, on That's an the fear, right? I yeah, mean, we still. talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, um, yeah it's, it'll be interesting. I, uh, so I, I, I don't know why I'm so stuck on this, but what, for, as a practitioner yourself, what do you think small businesses can do? Where do they start? If they've got some IT generalists, they're not ready to go all out on AI, but they want to understand better how it can impact their business. What's what's step one? Is it certifications? Is it training? Is it downloading Llama I mean, and, and hoping for the best? Like where where do you even start to peel back this onion? I think you know. I think a really good place to start, and and I'm kind
1: of harkening over to the chat here. Uh, one of our, our readers has said that, you know, they started using ChatGTT, uh for their work. And I don't know if they're paying for it out of their own pocket or their company is, but I mean, I would encourage a lot of companies to give your IT guy or give your dev a, you know, a budget for chat. Uh, 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 for AI open tools AI, general, sorry, Open right? AI, uh, yeah, the APIs, right? So every time you make a request, it costs money um luckily you don't pay too close attention to the mx bill so we haven't had that problem yet but um
0: <laughs> yeah well, you here, get here. before uh, before even, you go even too deep on tiers. that yeah. Uh, but yeah before you go too deep on that let's let, I want to talk about the levels of access to chat gpt cuz i think you're right maybe the easiest on ramp is to start by consuming the tools that are publicly available in a safe way mm-hmm. so that your data is yeah. not exposed so everyone knows that there's the OpenAI ChatGPT that's what, up to 3.5, that's publicly available, you log in, you can use it, it doesn't cost you anything, still has certain limitations. What are the paid versions of of ChatGPT?
1: Yeah, so you you can pay, I think it's about 20 bucks uh, a month and you get access to GPT-4 which is okay. far, far I mean it's it's almost like the difference between talking to a toddler and at least a 10 year old, right? It's, okay. it's obviously smarter than that, but that's kind of how I you know how I would describe it is it's that next step of being able to follow instructions being able to do things. Now with that being said, there's still stuff like I've got access to, uh, to you know the API side and I can call there's different models. When you start getting into the API side, you had a credit card, Monitor your billing. That's the first thing I'd say because it's like a cloud, right? Things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and it's exactly that because you're paying per you're paying per token on there, and it, it can add up really quick on some larger projects, especially if you're automating the interaction with it. Um, when you get onto the API side of things, you get access to a handful of models from OpenAI, which are pretty decent. That they, you know they're good at different things. There's some that are better at writing code. There's some that are better at being creative. Um, there's some that are better, you know, like Chat GPT four. You have a API version of it, which is far. I found to be far less restrictive and more mm-hmm. compliant with my requests, if that makes sense. Um, let me clarify that when I say more compliant with the requests, if I ask the chat version of GPT four through the web browser, hey, um, can you? Sh- I need to write some code to, um, you know, print out a list of uh, you know, 35 grocery items, it'll kind of give me, a. sometimes it'll give you like a start of, oh, here's how you start that in Python. And then it'll put like an ellipsis and a comment that says, and keep going here. I found <laughs> like the, yeah, I know. It's like, what the heck am I asking an AI for? If it wants to right, yeah. do it myself, like um, the, the first time I ever saw that and kind of ran into that brick wall, it was really frustrating because it was like, what am I what am I doing here? But when you move over to the API side, you start getting into a lot more um, freedom with it. And then you can start using vector memory databases. Uh, I use Pinecone a lot in our lab um, Can you, know, you to help kind you, of with the long-term memory.
0: Can you give it more data sources? Because like the native, as we said, the native chat GPT databases stops at a, at a time in 2021. Yep. So then, then your kind of your next step would be going and getting an Azure GPT for instance. Um, okay, so that's if you so can that's make. You, I'm just yeah. thinking about like in a small business repetitive tasks like uh, marketing emails or or even in our own, we do a weekly newsletter, right? So right now <laughs> we go and we manually you get the headline and a summary and a link and whatever. It's it's repetitive. It's one of those tasks that's that's really ripe for automation. If um, I can't go to ChatGPT public free and say make my newsletter for the week you know, with a, a sassy attitude because it doesn't know that our content exists and I can't tell it to go crawl the site. What level of, of integration do I need with OpenAI to enable that kind of activity if I really wanted it to go make me the weekly newsletter in a sassy tone?
1: So I think I think you got to look at that as, as a couple different things right so the content generation side of it that's that's where you would go to use like the open AI uh, API or the, uh, the, the either your private instance on Azure um, is the this is this is something we see a lot too is like the over implement over uh, implementation over use of, of AI. Know, if you know, if the only tool you have is a hammer. Everything starts to look like a nail, right? Sure. But where that starts to get interesting is if you look at it from kind of a full-end perspective, now we've got a weekly batch process that runs on our server that goes and pulls all of the links and everything, organizes it into a preset prompt of here's all the links automatically and it pastes those. So, so you're not doing all of that on AI, but you can start automating your process of, you know, collect all the links programmatically uh, with some sort of bot or autosys job type thing, send that through the API with the request, and then you get back your text, and that gets delivered to your inbox for approval and then and then blasting. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's
0: a really good use case, something I hadn't fully thought of. That would be how I would do it. Well, that's the other thing, too, is there's a lot there are many ways to uh, to to go after (laughs) these things. Uh, So we've talked, gosh, a lot about all sorts of topics today. One that I don't want to neglect, though, is hardware. And, you know, we're obviously hands on with a lot of this stuff in the lab. Mm -hmm. We've got a project right now we're working on uh, workstations that have GPUs inside and need to access the data. And, and that's one of the big things, right? And not even, just, not even GPU direct storage. I mean, that's cool and all, but that's a step even further down the road of integration from a uh, infrastructure standpoint. When you think about what workstations are doing, where some of these data scientists are, are doing that initial workload, the systems themselves don't have a ton of storage, despite the one that we just built with 200 terabytes uh, or 300 terabytes, that's that's very rare. Getting access to more data, though, helps train the models more faster, yeah? What what are the challenges you're, you're seeing there as we're exploring this in real time?
1: Yeah, so we're doing... Um Like, you know, we've got that, we've got a piece coming out about this soon. Uh, So there'll be a lot of detail in there. We're doing kind of a free, you know, a free tier of that, right? Where we're using single GPU workstations and doing kind of some research level uh, model training and model inferencing for testing and validation. So uh, when you start talking about being able to keep your GPUs fed and keep those, uh, you know, keep your ROI going and having either shared or leased terms through your developer team to some really powerful GPU workstations or GPU servers, keeping that stuff fed is one of the most important things. You don't want your GPUs sitting idle, uh, especially with the not while like an H100. Data, yeah. Right, right. So when we start looking at something like, I think our box is something like 80 terabytes of Gen 5 PCIe uh, and VME in there. Uh, and we have that shared at line speed. Uh, we're at you know what would be the equivalent of a Gen 5 drive in each of those workstations um, at 80 terabytes. So you have massive access, instantaneous as uh, access to all of these, um, you know, all of this either training data or validation data or data that you want to go do an inference on to do to do the validation of your models. And having that not only centralized for things like uh, version control or making sure your dev teams all working on the same things, um, but also being able to parallelize. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm sitting here working on a model that's slightly different than a model that you're working on, uh, but we're working off the same data set to see who yeah. can come up with the same thing. That iteration, yeah. getting all of that stuff, and and especially like the the really compelling thing about the E1s is uh, like that's one U in the rack, each GPU server, when you start sticking in, um, you know, like four, eight, whatever GPUs you're looking, I mean, minimum two U right. For the, for the Dell liquid cooled, if you're not doing liquid cooling, you're at to four U in, in, in a lot of scenarios to get more than one GPU in a, in a, you a you know, rack. So each instance you're sucking up a lot of space to get these get these parts in there and i think the xc 9680
0: is that a 6u i can't i can't recall exactly how oh, big yeah, that was. it's a, it's a 4u um, <laughs> for the gpu server and a 2u uh, essentially yeah. power edge sitting on top of it
1: so so now we're talking about you know we're sucking up so much rack space just to get the compute going uh, what, what are we storing on it it would be extremely expensive to outfit all those servers with you know 80 or 100 terabytes worth of storage space well they're still talking about if they even
0: have the slots, right? Because that's the other thing is the, the GPU heavy servers often give up storage. Um, mm-hmm. or you can look at a general purpose server with 24 bays, but then you're restricted on you know two add-in cards because you've got no power envelope. I mean it's the hardware right now is a series of of I would say intelligent trade-offs to understand what you need, how much power your rack can even support. You mentioned liquid on the, uh, the 9640. And again, I'll plug the upcoming video. We have a, a monster video diving into Dell's uh, latest GPU servers. Kevin and I were down in Texas last week uh, looking uh, at those guys and that, yeah, but ultimately you're right. Having fast shared storage so that you can have direct links to your GPU servers, to your workstations, mm-hmm. to whatever, I think it's going to be a pretty compelling story, and the uh, the server guys, the software, and and the uh, SSD guys are well, and, and Nvidia with the Nix too, are really all trying to figure out how to how to bundle that and, and communicate that to the market uh, right now. And, and just what you're seeing on the E1 S drives are actually Gen four, but they're still extremely fast and <laughs> uh, and wickedly dense. And the servers are so powerful now that we can keep inferencing cards in there we're using an a2 but you could put two of them in there mm-hmm. I think a couple l4s if you if you could even find them which is the the next challenge with uh, any of the Nvidia cards um, but uh, yeah now we can inference on that data without moving it again which is which is pretty conceivably powerful yeah. powerful stuff
1: yep yeah. and, and and not to mention you know like we had talked a lot about creating the training data early on. Uh, is a is a big challenge uh, having that kind of stuff unified in one spot and a server that has power to do the normalization and standardization of that. Um, you know, you can't just hold up a PDF and say here AI processed. Like you, you, right. there's stuff you got to do to that. Uh, so being able to do that on the file system side is is getting really interesting. I think um, Vast actually was talking about some of that. In, in one of their recent releases and that's
0: that's going to be hugely important um yeah, so we've is, talked it, about they've definitely set their sights on solving the the holistic problem of yep. AI data right and they're their I mean they're they're going well outside of the scope of, of storage I would, I would <coughs> suggest at this point and trying to do much much more and you can go on to your next topic but I, I do think before the day is out we need a uh, a fresh meme for this with with Denzel, instead of training day, training data, and see what you can work up on that.
1: I'm sure our Discord will get right on it.
0: Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, but well, wait, actually, I, I know I just said you could go again, but just a reminder for, for anyone listening in or, or watching the video on YouTube, we're also streaming this live right now to our Discord audience. So if you wanna participate in the conversation, if you wanna help, tune my conversation with our, our interview guests. Absolutely. You can submit questions, interact in, in real time. And, uh, we're, uh, we're doing another, uh, uh, podcast, you know, pretty much right after this one, uh, that, uh, that we'll be doing that. So keep, keep up the, the conversation. Jordan's already peppered in a couple questions. It really does give us uh, a new, uh, flavor for these podcasts. We're excited about that, but, uh, carry on Jordan. Yeah, I'm, Loving getting the real time feedback and getting to talk to everybody. Um,
1: where are you totally distracting me? I need a notepad when we do these from now on. We did this last time too. Um, you yeah, know, we're talking a lot about hardware. Oh, uh, yeah, no, the density, right, and the shared yeah. storage. So when we when we look at our specific configuration, this will make a lot more sense to to everybody when they when they read the article uh, about this Keoxia, uh storage and our GPU workstations being moved into the data center um, and you start talking about the massive amounts of checkpoints and different model files and, and different uh, you know iterations that you can work through getting that ultra high speed performance to be able to save that and then share it out to the team that's the other thing that's extremely valuable you know uh, we we mostly work in a va- a vacuum so to speak right so it's it's me and Kevin in the lab, you know, banging our heads against servers. And, uh, we got a new intern today.
0: we've got a new intern today. So you got that guy to, to uh, <laughs> there build we our go over next.
1: Um, and, and every once in a while, some usable code comes out of that process. So, but when you start looking at this and thinking about it from an enterprise scale and version control, and hey, you know what, that model checkpoint that you made three days ago, whatever you did there was way better than the crap we're making today. Let's go back to that and work on that. And just having that shared across in in speeds of that calibre uh, is is awesome. Uh, and I I I, I kind of touched on this at the end of that article too, because of the speed uh, that the ConnectX cards provide back to the storage server. It's 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 effectively like retrofitting PCI Gen five SSD speeds into older servers or workstations that you know they've got perfectly fine GPUs. Our TX8000s are, what, three, four years old now, and they're still plenty relevant for training and for AI. They've got boatloads of HBM in them. Um, but those platforms don't have, you know, maybe they don't even have NVMe days on the front, or, or you know, like, uh, I think our, our Lenovo's don't have NVMe on them, but we basically have retrofitted that in there. So that was another right. really cool benefit, Um to that, to yeah. that project. And I think that's gonna be a huge area of focus is, you know, I think, yeah, I don't wanna to get too speculative here because we'd end up talking about tape here in about five minutes, but
0: <laughs> it's, uh, tape, it's- Tape li- tape libraries for AI? I'm actually headed out to, uh, to uh, Denver in a couple of weeks to, to visit with Quantum. So uh, I'm sure they would be over the moon if we started talking about tape fueling AI innovation we'll tell them I'll dust off my i500 as soon as they send some updated
1: drives um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got yeah i mean we th- this this is so back to kind of uh, again once once you started this with the whole bi uh, business intelligence analytics big data yeah. stuff right ai as we call ai is so all encompassing of all of those disciplines and all of those fields, especially when you start bringing in the HPC requirements. Um, it's really going to be a big unifier of technologies over the coming years. And it's going to be more and more interesting. You know, the, the grace hopper superchip is one that I'm excited to get hands on with. Yeah. Uh, hopefully in the near future here, um, you know, in, in getting this
0: stuff all pulled together and into something really crazy. It's, it's really cool to watch. Well, we just put out the uh, article last night on the ML Perf scores from uh, Grace Hopper yep. Two Hundred, and yeah, it's 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 pretty wild what uh, what's available there. But we're uh, we're getting a little long here. But I do want to get one more comment from you on this. And you mm-hmm. know what? If you guys if you guys love this AI chat, we're we'll we'll do this again and and talk about the the rawness of what we're experiencing in real time as as we try to solve these problems, and then also what the The vendors are telling us in terms of of, uh, their ai enablement in their solutions or or for their customers but um, we did a piece with ovh cloud us on their gpu instances and actually that's the next podcast that that we'll be recording is with ovh cloud they had uh, some v100s they exposed to us and i think this is really an interesting uh, dynamic and you don't have to go deep here but just give me your 30 seconds on, on your take on where cloud can be beneficial for AI. Getting access to some of this gear is really hard or really expensive or potentially both. The cloud can solve some of those problems for us, not without cost, but can solve it mm-hmm. with immediacy if nothing else. What, what's your high level take on, on what we did with OVH and, and any findings there that are, that are worth uh, highlighting from, from that review?
1: If you've got, you know, I, I see OVH fitting in in a really, uh, really good rapid push to market. I've got this model and I need to get it up alive on the internet, doing some inferencing. Uh, you know, I, I and it's it's so affordable. If you can fit into the memory limitations of the V100 on your on what whatever work someone may be doing, then. I think it's great, and if you are just someone studying and trying to learn how to get into this, how to interact with CUDA, how to work, um, you know, how to work in the, the Linux Ubuntu server environment, um, and in working with different driver versions, the ability to just turn on and turn off, and delete and spin up and spin down all of those, um, you know, those instances is extremely valuable. Uh, I think I recall it's 88 cents per hour. So, you know, if I'm studying this or I'm trying to learn this as a developer or someone who's going through school and maybe all I've got is, you know, a, a lower power laptop or desktop at home that can't really handle these tech, 88 cents an hour. I don't, yeah, they don't require, I don't think they don't require any sort of like big upfront payment. You can do hourly billing. Um, if you watch it and you kind of get in there, do your work, turn it back up, you can get access to some of the cutting edge, you know, toolkits, libraries, SDKs and all that for very cheap uh, to help supplement. As long as you go in with a plan, I think it's super affordable and you don't just, you know, turn it on and leave it on and forget about it, get it with
0: a $2,000 cloud. Don't, don't forget about on. it. Your your credit card company yeah. will, will alert you to yeah. that. But I, I mean, will... it like like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we, we don't have to keep deep, go real deep, deep there. I, I just wanted to highlight that we do have a review on the GPU instances where Jordan walks through how it works, some of these things and, and some of the hands on uh, testing he did, and that is the next podcast. So by the time you hear this one, that one will be in the can and it will be next up. So if you're interested in some of these concepts around AI in the cloud, that should be uh, hopefully a very good conversation. Encourage you to check that one out. Jordan. I've got to cut you off on, on this one, but this has been a great conversation. Uh, and, and like I said, we're, pump, we're pumping these live into Discord now. So join our Discord if you need that link. It'll be in the description uh, of the, uh, the show or it's linked in the top right corner of our website, storageview.com. Check it out and uh, join the conversation. We want to hear from you. Until then, uh, Jordan, thanks for doing this again, buddy. Yep,
1: good to talk to you, Brian.
0: All right, thank you.